BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, good friends. Thank you for joining us again on the Bill Press Pod. Well, of course, growing up, we were taught that the Constitution, like the Bible, is a sacred document. And some also believe that, again, like the Bible, every word of the Constitution must be taken literally. But of course, that would be dangerous for the Bible and for the Constitution because taking the Constitution literally would mean, among other things, that neither women nor black people could vote. And that, in fact, black people wouldn't even count as a whole person. So it's important to recognize the Constitution for what it is. Yes, a great document. After all, it's guided us for over 240 years, but also a flawed document that's been improved over the years, but still needs a lot of work, especially when it comes to the rights of women and people of color. Which is why I was so excited to hear about Ellie Mistal's new book, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. You've probably seen Ellie as legal analyst on MSNBC. In his new book, he doesn't pull any punches about where the Constitution works and where it falls short. Ellie Mistal, thank you for joining us on the Bill Press Pod. It's good to connect with you. Thank you for having me. And uh, congratulations on your new book, uh, Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. So uh, you kind of shook it up on The View a little while ago when um, uh, someone suggested maybe the Constitution is a sacred document. And you came back and said, uh, no, it's kind of like trash. (laughs) Were you just trying to shake things up or do you really mean that? Bill, I honestly was not trying to say anything controversial. That is that I didn't I don't think that's a controversial statement. Uh, look, the first line of my book is our constitution is not good. The last line of my book is our constitution I'm here to tell you that the constitution is trash. It's conservatives who tell you that it always has to be that way. So the literal frame of my argument is that this document that some people thinks were, you know, uh, uh, etched in stone by the finger of mm-hmm. God. Um, is actually a, a fairly compromised and, and underwhelming um, compromised document that was scrawled out over a sweaty summer in Philadelphia. There are some good ideas in it. There are some bad ideas in it. The the ideals that it represents um, might might be you know uh, uh, quite high, and I might in, in, uh, agree with many of the ideals um, it professes. But we have not lived one single day in this country with all of the ideals you know contemplated in the mm-hmm. constitution actually applied to all of the people living here equally so structurally i think it's kind of obvious that the constitution has some some issues but in terms of what it's uh, its actual effectiveness it's also been quite you know again kind of trash you don't think we fixed it over the years, like with the 14th Amendment, the 15th Amendment, and others? Yeah. So let me tell you something about the amendment process, right? Because uh-huh. it turns out that 
even your even a, a wonderful constitutional amendment means nothing in the face of conservatives designed, uh, you know, uh, uh, dedicated to stopping it. Now, when I say conservatives, to be clear, I don't care what the conservatives are calling themselves this morning. You know, the, mm. after the Civil War, the conservatives called themselves Democrats. Right <laughs> now, they call themselves Republicans. In the futures, they might call themselves, you know, Wallers, or, or I don't care what they call themselves. Who knows, right? The conservative party at every point has worked to frustrate the ideals of the Constitution. So when you take something like the 15th Amendment, yeah, great amendment, kind of fixes things. What do conservatives do? They stuck it in a drawer for a hundred years. They just ignored the Fifteenth Amendment. Acted like uh, just for your listeners, Fifteenth Amendment is the one that uh, grants the right to vote uh, regardless of right. race, color, or creed. Conservatives just ignored it for a hundred years. We have to have another kind of civil uprising that we call the Civil Rights Movement to get people to recognize the Fifteenth Amendment. It works. We have about forty years of kind of you know arc bending towards history elect a black president and conservatives got so pissed off about electing the black president that before his second term was over, conservatives had put the 15th amendment back in a drawer, which is what John Roberts did in 2013 in Shelby County v. Holden, right. uh, eviscerating the Voting Rights Act. So yeah, have we fixed the constitution? I'd say no, because a document that was fixed would not be it would, would not be so easily ignored every time there are five conservatives on the Supreme Court. Uh, and, of course, uh, efforts to restore that in the Congress, in this Congress, right, have gotten nowhere because of Republican slash conservative opposition to renewing the Voting Rights Act, not to mention adding the John Lewis Act. The, 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 the filibuster, right, yeah. um, is not in the Constitution. It's not a constitutional principle. That is something the Senate made up for themselves. Now, a good Constitution might explicitly deny um, Republicans the right to to block, uh, or sorry, the minority party the right to block popular le legislation um, based on minority control. But our Constitution doesn't. Our Constitution decides to be silent about that. Our Constitution is silent about things like gerrymandering. Kind of important. Kind of important. But no, our Constitution doesn't have anything to say useful about, about gerrymandering. You know, another, sorry, another thing that I like to bring up is that the Constitution itself doesn't say anything about voting rights because the white slavers, white colonists, and white abolitionists who were no, no, uh, nonetheless willing to make deals with slavers and colonists, um, they didn't think that the right to vote flowed down from the federal government. They thought the right to vote flowed up from mm -hmm. the individual states so that Georgia could have its own right to vote and New York could have its own right to vote and Virginia could have its own right to vote. And that's stupid. That's just dumb. That's not something that other industrialized Western democracies do. That's a, it's ridiculous that we are in 2022 and we have a federal election system that's actually 50 different state electoral systems as opposed to one overarching federal system. But that's what those people did back in the day. And again, that's one of the reasons why I say our Constitution is actually not a very good document. Uh, and of course, they don't want a national system, election system, right? Because they want states to be able, in effect, uh, to continue to Jim Crow. The states' rights argument has always been in this country the last bastion of defense of white supremacy. It is always where the white supremacists go. That We can go back to John C. Calhoun. We can go back, um, at, who's the Civil War era um, uh, uh, person who came up with the idea of secession. We can go back to Thomas Jefferson, slaver, um, slavers all. 
states' rights is what the white supremacists use to justify um, their their ability um, to be racist. And let's let's not forget um, the states where most of the black people live in this country are still the states of the former Confederacy. Black people did not, you know, en masse move out of uh, the places where their ancestors were enslaved. So, like, if you, first of all, if you made D.C. a state, D.C. would be the state with the highest black population um, relative to overall population. But with that not in the in the mix, the next highest states of black population are Georgia, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. These are the, these are the states where, where black people live, right? Um, but which is why voter suppression is so critical in those states and why those states go so far out of their way to enact suppressive policies. Because if black people got to vote equally as white people on those states, um, um, the, the, the very red, if shall we say, to use a political term, term, the very red color of those states would get real purple real quick. So the subtitle of your book is A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. Then you add what rights we have, what rights Republicans are trying to take away, and here's the key phrase, and how we stop them. How do we stop them? At the ballot box? So, so to you, to, to, I like to use a phrase from, from Remember the Titans, um, which is a, a Denzel Washington Disney movie about an integrated football team. Um, and there's a scene where, where the refs are trying to throw the game, trying to stop the integrated team from winning. And the white coach comes out and he tells the refs, you guys are going to call the game fair. And then he gathers the team together and he says, I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz every down. And that's what Democrats need to do. We need to blitz every down. We cede entirely too much intellectual legal ground to conservative arguments, which are bad, which are easily defeated if we would just fight for them. And so, you know, one of the criticisms I've seen on like Amazon or Goodreads about the book is that, well, you know, it's not going to change a lot of minds. Conservatives are not going to listen to it. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I kind of I anticipated that the book is not for conservatives. Um, it's not it's not a, a guide to the Constitution for black guys. It is a black guy's guide to the Constitution. It is it is a rallying cry for liberals, for progressives to learn more about the law. That's why I have it written in, in plain English with no jargon, as little jargon as possible um, about some of these issues so that you can deploy these arguments against the conservatives in your life at the Thanksgiving table on your Facebook feed or if necessary in Congress. Because one of the problems is that conservatives, every you know, conservatives understand how important the courts are. They might not know much, but they you know they might not know much about civics. But they know that if they want their guns, they gotta they gotta support uh, Republican nominees for the Supreme Court, right? If they don't like gay people, they know they gotta support Republican nominees for the Supreme Court. Whereas liberals. You know, we we don't make the one to one connection between what liberals say they want and control of the courts. There's nothing that you want that can survive a conservative courts. You're not getting anything on gun rights. You're not getting anything on voting rights. You're not getting anything on police reform. You're not getting anything on climate change, unless you control unless liberals control the courts. And my book kind of explains why. Uh, so I would assume you have. Uh, zero confidence in this current Supreme Court uh, to do anything to, let's say, fulfill the promise of the Constitution. Yeah, no, because you've because it's dominated by conservatives. And as I explained in the book, every time that we've 
we've had a conservative control of the Supreme Court. This is what it does. See, liberals have this kind of, I think, false impression of the court as a progressive institution. It's because, like, you know, we had, like, 10 years, 15 years, where, like, Earl Warren and yeah. Earl Marshall were there. And, and, like, so it's – but that those 10 or 15 years are an anomaly in our history. For the most part, the Supreme Court is a conservative institution. There are – think about it. We are, we are talking about unelected, unaccountable – generally old white people um, uh, uh, who cannot be removed during the term of their natural lives. Just the way it's set up is for conservatism and for, you know, uh, a, a retardation on progress. And that is what it is. That is exactly what it has done over most of its history, except for about 10, 15 years there during the civil rights era. So you have to understand that the institution is designed to be conservative. Then when you put like, you know, red meat conservatives on there, as the the Republicans have successfully done, um, especially with the uh, with the Trump appointees. Right. When you have people like uh, Neil Gorsuch and to say nothing of Sam Alito um, on the Supreme Court, that's going to lead to an extremely conservative outcomes. Uh, 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 the 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 fight that these uh, the, the Republicans have been on, they've been on this campaign for forty years to to change the tenor of the court back to hardcore conservatism, and they're about to win. So yeah. to uh, so to fight them, liberals have to get into the game. Like again, there there are battles that liberals have lost, but there are battles where liberals haven't even taken the field, and we need to start fighting. All right. So we've taken the field now with Katanji Brown Jackson, right? President Biden's uh, appointee to the Supreme Court. Um, uh, and we see Republicans are now mounting their opposition, right? You know, they're not going to just roll over and say, of course, she's you know, got a great record. Uh, she's a great nominee. Uh, and the grounds that, they're, that they seem to be ready to oppose are all out on is that she was once a public defender, right? Uh, isn't that sort of what what the American law justice system is all about. Everybody gets a fair shake. We desperately, it's the, she'll, when she uh, is confirmed, and I believe she will be confirmed, she will come to the Supreme Court with more experience as a public, as a public advocate than any Supreme Court justice since Thurgood Marshall. That's significant, people. We have, even when we elect, even when we nominate liberals to the court, we tend to nominate former prosecutors um, to the Supreme Court. So having somebody with defense experience, um, it makes her... uh, it makes her more diverse than even the the, the black woman um, um, part of her identity, right? Like her actual mm-hmm. professional experience makes her a diverse candidate um, for this nomination. And so, of course, they're going to attack her for her diverse uh, bona fides. Um, but also, Bill, it's because they have nothing else, right? Like uh, I have been in the defense of Supreme Court nominees. I have been on the attack of Supreme Court nominees. I have been doing the oppo on Supreme Court nominees. And when I do oppo, when I go on the attack, I have a little thing called cases. I read <laughs> yeah. their cases. I find things they have written in their cases or in their law review notes, in their scholarship. And I say, hey, this person believes this, that, or the other thing based on what they said and attack them that way. Republicans got nothing when it comes to her actual cases, which is pretty embarrassing for them because she's been on the federal bench for nine years. 
Kentaji Brown Jackson will go to the Supreme Court with more judicial experience than four of the current sitting justices combined. Um, so they have a deep record that they could go into, but when they go into the record, they can't find anything to really pin her on, right? She's she yeah, she's a former public defender, but she's been, you know, she's had cases where she's upheld uh, the qualified immunity of cops, um, and cases where she is taken it away. She seems to be against asset forfeiture. Would does would is there a Republican that wants to come out in favor of asset forfeiture? I would like to hear them say that, right? She's been against Trump's cockamamie schemes to uh, defraud the American people over the election. Is there a Republican senator that wants to come out in favor of Trump's coup? Because I think that would be uh, relevant at the confirmation hearings. But they don't want to go at her on her actual record. So it's this smear campaign. It's like, oh, she's a uh, you know, public defender. That, so she's got clients, you know, in the, in the past. Um, we need to see her LSAT scores. You know, whatever they can drum up that's what they're gonna whatever whatever they can drum up they have to go there because they can't seem to land a punch on her in mm -hmm. terms of her actual record uh, just a little sideline here but and you follow this a lot more closely than certainly than i do and most people do uh, how's joe biden done with his judicial nominees uh is he is he delivering good progressives on the federal court He's been fantastic. I would argue that he's been the best president in American in American history really? in terms of the, the diversity of his nominees. I have lots of problems with Biden, mm -hmm. policies and, and things that he hasn't done or whatever. But he he must he must get all of the credit in the world uh, for the quality, diversity, breadth, and depth of the nominees that he has put, not just uh, in, in in this one Supreme Court nomination, but all throughout the federal judiciary. He has used his nominees, um, his slate of nominees effectively, and they have generally been great. And when they haven't been great, it's usually not his fault. It's, it's a, it, it, you know, I don't want to get too much in, into the weeds, but, you know, Democratic senators still have a role to play in suggesting, let's say, um, people to be on yeah. the lower courts. And basically when Biden uh, has a nominee that I'm not a fan of, it's usually not his <laughs> idea. It's usually like a senator's idea who I'm not a fan of. Right. Um, who, who came up with that nominee, right? So I think overall he's been fantastic when it comes to to nominees. And again, not just on the kind of identity politics mar markers of, you know, uh, people of color and, and women, although again, he's been great on that, but true like professional breadth, professional diversity, law school diversity, all of that, he's been great. Uh, let's take a quick break here. There are got a lot of other issues I want to ask you about, Ellie. Uh, and uh, we've got to take, take a little little break. Uh, we'll pick up just on the other side of you. Just hold on there for just a few seconds. Today's podcast brought to you by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union. Yes, those good men and women, 1.3 million working men and women strong members of the UFCW under President Mark Perrone, uh, they service all of us in many, many different ways at our big retail stores like Nordstrom and Macy's. The people that take care of us at our great grocery chains like Safeway and Whole Foods. Those on the front line in our meat and poultry processing plants, chemical plants, and cannabis plants. We thank the men and women of the UFCW for their great work taking care of all of us Americans. And we thank them for their support of the Bill Press Pod. Go to their website, check it out at ufcw.org. You'll be amazed at all the good causes they're involved in. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? 
Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Back on the Bill Press Pod uh, today with a uh, great guest, Ellie Mistal. Uh, you know him from uh, MSNBC, from The Nation magazine. Uh, he's been called, his new book, by the way, a uh, great book, Allow Me to Retort a Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. And there'll be a link to buy that book in the episode notes of today's podcast. Ellie, you've been called the explainer in chief of American law, <laughs> which, I, which I love. So as the explainer in chief, there's something out there Republicans particularly are really, really upset about, and that's called CRT, critical race theory. What is that? Isn't, isn't that just the manifestation of white supremacism flat out? Or how do you read it? Yeah, so let's, I mean, uh, critical race theory is a legal theory, right? It's taught in law schools, in some law schools. It was taught in my law school. Um, here's here's a newsflash. I didn't take a CRT class when I was in law school. <laughs> All right. I, <laughs> like, I, I, you know, it's there. It was there. It was, it was an option, but I was I was more interested in other things um, than CRT. I didn't take that. I didn't take that class. But in that's interesting. Kind of, it was not mandatory at Harvard, right? No, no. Yeah. Right. The only thing that's like mandatory at Harvard is like tort. And like contracts, right? <laughs> That's uh, what you gotta know. Um, uh, even literally, even evidence is not even mandatory at Harvard. Hmm. I mean, it's Harvard. Yeah. they're not going to be in a courtroom. Come on, come on. <laughs> um, so yeah, I didn't. I didn't happen to take that 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 class. It's a legal discipline. But what Republicans have done to CRT is, and they've been very obvious. They've been very forthright about this. They've just used uh, the term critical race theory um, as a as a nomenclature for anything they don't like, mm-hmm. for anything about Black history and the Black experience and white supremacy that they don't like. And they have so the Republicans have then put a whole bunch of things that are not critical race theory into a rubric of critical race theory. So put it like this, Bill. When I started writing this book, I would not have said that I was writing a critical race theory book. By the time it published, turns out I wrote a critical race theory book. How did that happen? Not because I changed, not because I fell backwards into it, but because Republicans changed the definition of critical race theory to anything that examines the racism that founded this country, which my book certainly does. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be in the club now. Uh, uh, one of the things that, that I think is important to understand when you hear these critical race theory debates or so-called debates, what it really comes down to is white people trying to make their own kids dumb, right? My kids are going to know things, right? My kids... <laughs> 
my kids are going to know the history of this country, you know, how it worked, why it worked the way they did. My kids are going to know about about the racism of the founding fathers. My kids are going to know that George Washington was the biggest uh, slaveholder in America. My kids are going to know about redlining. My kids are going to know that Martin Luther King did not save the planet. If white people want to tell their kids the 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 uh, an alternative story, a not true story, well, you know, their kids are just going to look dumber than my kid on a test. That's that's all they're trying to do because the white kids are going to have to learn it eventually. Eventually, they will sit in a college class and some teacher will tell them the truth and they will look like idiots. And that is a weird thing to wish for your children. I do not wish that for my children. I do not know why some white parents wish that for their children, but, you know, it's a free country. In effect, they want to raise a whole generation of uh, kids who are ignorant about the real history of the United States, good and bad, right? They think they're they're doing it to black kids, too, but you got to remember that there's a long tradition in the black community of having to teach your child yourself about the real America because you were never going to learn that in schools, right? My, my mom was born in 1950 in Mississippi. They weren't teaching her about real America in schools and the segregated schools, I'm sorry, that she was allowed to go to. Uh, <laughs> you know, like yeah. the, the, the black community has always, we've always had to teach our kids um, a little bit differently than, than, than white parents teach their kids because we could never expect um, our kids to learn the full story in school. Um, white people making it more obvious uh, right now doesn't really affect us, but it certainly affects them and their children. You know, uh, I grew up around Wilmington, Delaware, near the big mushroom farms in uh, southern Pennsylvania. Uh, and we used to talk about how, how do you grow mushrooms, right? You feed them bullshit and keep them in the dark. <laughs> uh, uh, and it sounds like that's what CRT is all about. But how widespread is it? I mean, you know, if you listen to Republicans, starting with the new governor of Virginia, right? Uh, this is in every school in every state. Yeah, no, th nobody teaches critical race theory in grade school. That's not, you know, and again, my kids go to a super progressive private school and nobody's teaching them critical race theory in, you know, in elementary school because it's not, it's not an elementary school concept. Again, it's fundamentally a legal concept. It's an understanding of laws and structures um, from the perspective of, you know, with, understanding the racism that went into those laws and structures, right? So it's understanding, you know, uh, there's a story that was that's out this week about Wells Fargo, about how uh, uh, during the pandemic refinancing uh, uh, craze, um, Wells Fargo approved 72% of its white applicants uh, for refinancing, but only 47% of black applicants. Explaining how home refinancing um, is racist or can be racist or can be used as a tool of white supremacy that's an aspect of critical race theory uh, let me tell you there aren't a lot of grade school children who care about home refinancing <laughs> right, right right that's not right. on their radar all right in fourth grade so <laughs> the idea that this is kind of some kind of a uh, uh, widespread you know way to change children to 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 uh, capture children um that's just ridiculous the going forward um obviously as you get older you learn more about the real founding and the real history of this country um you can learn that kind of honestly or you can learn that ignorantly but you're gonna but it's but eventually the truth will out and can you learn that under the 1619 project 
What's your what's your take on that? I mean, obviously, New York Times put it together. Uh, it's been on the bestseller list for months now. Um, important book, important for Americans to read and know and understand. I I I would say that that's the most important thing for me in my life to read since maybe I read like John Rawls's uh, Theory of Justice, right? Like, wow. I, mean, I, wow. I I put it yeah. on the level of a philosophical classic. There are I am an educated man about many things, and there are things that I didn't know, that I didn't think about, that I didn't think through. Um, until I read that project in the New York Times, and now it's now it's a best-selling book. Um, just how how capitalism, the, the the intersection of capitalism uh, um, and the slave economy was really just mind blowing um, to me. So it, yeah, Nicole Hannah Jones's work. It's one of those things, and I hope that my book is in some small way uh, uh, like that as well. It's one of those things where you read her work and you're like, wow, I'm not crazy, right? Because if you're, if you're, if you're relatively conscious in this country, if you're black or white, if you, if you have a, 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 a clear eyed look at this country, it seems monstrous at certain levels. And people are always telling you, no, 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 it's not that bad. You're crazy. You're, you know, you're, you're, you're being churlish. Um, and you read Nicole Anna Jones, you're like, oh, wow, no, I'm not crazy. No, people, other people have seen this. Other people have thought about this, this, this thing that I'm seeing or feeling, um, there, there is validity in it. Right. Uh, that, that's, that's what the 1619, um, project did for me. And it, it, it gave me additional confidence in my own work. Right. That's the other, that's the other thing that it's, I think does for a lot of black people, black scholars, black writers, black content producers, whatever. It gives you cons- confidence in your own space, in your own mind. Um, I think Nicole Hannah Jones is like one of the most important Americans alive today, right. without a doubt. I've got the copy right here uh, alongside of me. I'm working through it right now. And like you, it has been mind-boggling to me as well. Uh, speaking of mind-boggling, do you ever think that in your lifetime, you would see an American president who, in effect, endorsed white nationalists and white supremacists as um, just another political viewpoint, and members of Congress, actual sitting members of Congress, address white supremacy conferences and and get away with it. Yes, yes, I did really? think that because it's uh, happened. It's happened before. I assumed that it was going to happen again. And Donald Trump is not the first president to endorse white supremacy. If anything, presidents being against white supremacy is, is the new thing. Mm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's not, you know, Bill Clinton being against white supremacy. That was new. Um, Donald Trump being for white supremacy. That is old. Um, what I didn't think I'd see bill is a coup. Like I thought right there, the, I, I didn't think that the reaction to that, the, the white supremacist reaction to losing their grip on power would be so violent. And I, that's that's going to sound naive, right? Like, how could I not expect um, um, white people to get violent as they lost power? As Frederick Douglass once said, uh, power concedes nothing without a demand. Why did I think that white people would concede uh, that we are living in a pluralistic society uh, 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 w- without violence? That That's the naivete. Um, mm. uh, that, that I, that I, that I experienced. Um, cause I really thought that it's not that I thought that Trump would go quietly or anything like that, but just that there would be a attempt at coup 
it would be rebuffed. And then within months, the party of the coup would be defending the coup. Right. As opposed to having like a come to Jesus moment. Like I, I didn't, I, I did not anticipate that coming. Right. Right. A president running a, a white president running an openly racist campaign um, and trying to rally kind of the last ride of the of the insular whites that that's not all that surprising. Um, the last ride of the insular whites resulting in violence against the government supported by people in the government, even after the violence had subsided. That was whoa. These people are in it to win it, I guess, man. Yeah, I mean, de- defending it and downplaying it, right? Downplaying it as uh, the famous phrase, just another tourist uh, visit to the, uh, right, uh, to the And United- basically ready to do it again. And so this is, you know, where I go to the other thing that surprised, uh, surprises me, I mean, a little bit too strong of a word because I saw it coming when they nominated him. But the other thing that, that disappoints me then is um, the Democratic Party's kind of inability to meet the moment, right? Meet the challenge head on, um, especially through the personage of Merrick Garland, who so far, I mean, look, there's a chance that there's a double secret investigation going on that I just don't know about. But certainly from, from, from an outsider's perspective, and I will admit I am an outsider, I don't have any special knowledge, but from an outsider's perspective, he is being really hard on the low level, you know, foot soldiers, and has no smoke, no no desire to go after the real people who who organized the attack. I mean, even in his uh, most recent public speech about the about the attack that he gave um, at the uh, 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 at the year anniversary a couple of months ago in January, um, he kind of started his looking at the attack when the people arrived at the Capitol. Right, the the attack started at. At, during the rally at the ellipse, that's where it started. Right, America huh. only wants to look at the people once they got to the Capitol. That's that's disturbing, right? I look at Joe Biden's uh, uh, State of the Union address, where he managed to get through the whole thing without mentioning the attack, without mentioning the obstruction Republicans are doing um, uh, towards the committee that's investigating the attack. Uh, that's uh, to me, that's not meeting in the moment, but we'll see. Yeah, I mean, Garland seems to think that. Um, he, at least my read, uh, and like you, I hope we're wrong. I hope there's some undercover investigation, you know, clicking away as we talk, but I doubt it. But Garland seems to think that he's got to wait for the January 6th committee to complete its work and issue its report detailing the evidence of, uh, higher ups involvement in the planning and the organization of the attack on the Capitol, right? How much more evidence does he need? It's out also, there, right? Not only that, but why is he letting Congress find that evidence? He's in charge of the most powerful investigative institution in our country. The FBI works for him. Why isn't it working? See, no, I, I don't just question Merrick Garland. I question uh, FBI Director Christopher Wray. Christopher Wray, who I will note is a Republican, picked and appointed by Donald Trump, that Joe Biden could have fired at the beginning of his term, but didn't let him stay on. Um, interestingly enough, you know, the uh, Chris Ray um, could have arrested people as they were walking out of charging the Capitol. He did not. I feel like there hasn't been a sufficient inquiry into why that didn't happen. Why hasn't Merrick Garland sick the FBI 
on the Lauren Boberts and Paul Gosars and other assorted white supremacists in the Republican Party? Why aren't they investigating? Uh, um, why is he leaving it to Congress? These are questions I, you know, but you know what, Bill? What's sad is that these are probably questions that will only be answered in Merrick Garland's best-selling book in 2026, Why I Did Nothing. <laughs> Right? <laughs> I, uh, I hate to think of that, but yeah. So he'll be like Bill Barr, right? Save, save everything until he can write a book and make a few bucks on it. Let's that's, that's why I fear, right? These are these are questions that need to be answered, but I don't know that he'll, that he'll answer them while he has the power to do something about it. If God had only given Merrick Garland a backbone. Uh, <laughs> but let me tell you, he gave you a great voice, <laughs> Ellie, and uh, I uh, applaud you for using it as much as you do on every platform that you can. And uh, uh, congratulations again on the book. And thank you for uh, joining us today on the Bill Press Pod. Thank you so much for having me, Bill. I love your work. Keep up the good fight, man. And that's it for today's podcast with Ellie Mistal. Again, his new book is Allow Me to Retort. A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. And we'll have a link in the episode notes to today's podcast where you can buy a copy of Ellie's great new book. Very, very important book. Great read. I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, now, we'll be back on Friday again with a roundtable wrapping up the news of the week from our nation's capital. So join us again then. But in the meantime, take good care of yourselves. Be strong, be safe, come back and see us on the next edition, our roundtable on the Bill Press Pod.